Good morning. This, today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Please rise for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a served test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they have give, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part of the relief of the saints. And, and this not as, ex, as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, he had started so he sh should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little has no lack. This is God's word. Well, good morning to you. Thank you, gentlemen, for reading our passage today. Let's start with the word of prayer. <clears throat> God in heaven, we thank you for your word, for this word, for this letter to the Corinthians, and for this opportunity to read it, understand it, to see how it shapes and impacts how we live our lives. I ask that you would use my words to better build up this church. God, you know the circumstances of all these people here at Westgate. You know what's going on in their lives, and I ask that you would be using this word to effectively and appropriately minister to them. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One time, when I was in high school, I struck up a conversation with a man much older than me to talk about some spiritual things, but this guy, he shut me down pretty quickly, and he said something to me that I haven't forgotten. He said, you should know there are three things people don't talk about with each other, politics, religion, and money, and that was his way of saying to me, we're done talking. I'm not about to talk about spiritual matters with a teenager I don't know, and I completely understand that response. I was a complete stranger to him. But I'm so glad that Paul did not take this posture with the Corinthians. 
Because in this passage, Paul's words are consequential for how we think about our faith and our money. That we should not divorce our faith from our money. What Paul does is establish a firm connection between our faith and our resources through the act of giving. Now, this passage is not the only place Paul talks about giving. Here in this first part of chapter 8, he addresses the topic, but he will continue speaking about this in chapter 9. Of course, there's some overlap between those passages, but today, here's what we'll see, is generally this passage describes the principles of giving, and then in two weeks' time, our following passage will address the practice of giving. And so today we'll see the basis for giving. So with that said, let's take a closer look at chapter 8. And for our passage today, I think there's three divisions that we can see. And these divisions will kind of serve as our maps, so here's what they are. First, we have the Macedonian example. Then it's followed by the Messianic example and ending with a motivation for giving. Starts with the Macedonians, then the Messiah, then he gets into the motivation. So look at verse 1 with me. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So before Paul encourages his readers to give, he provides an example, an example which displays God's grace. Grace in this instance meaning God's kindness, his favor. And this example truly is remarkable. Paul details their circumstances, their attitudes, and their contribution of this church. So with respect to circumstances, Paul tells us that this church suffered a severe test of affliction, that they were of extreme poverty. As one commentator puts it, these Macedonians were rock-bottom poor. No one could have looked at that church and thought that they were well off. But their attitudes were far from what could have been expected. In verse 2, Paul describes that they had an abundance of joy. And then in verse 4, he goes on to say, These Macedonian Christians begged Paul to be able to contribute to the relief of other Christians, which is backwards. Typically, begging refers to those who are attempting to gain something, not give something. But here, these Christians are begging to have a part in this. Because of in, light, in light of their circumstance, um, we're, we're better able to see their attitude, their deep desire to help bring some relief to the church in Jerusalem. Thirdly, Paul notes the nature of their contribution. In verse 3, he tells the Corinthians that these Macedonians gave according to their means. But not only that, Paul goes on to say that this rock-bottom poor church gave beyond their means. And Paul intentionally includes that this church gave beyond their means of their own accord. Or as the NIV says it, they gave entirely on their own. No one was demanding or expecting that this church would give beyond their means. But this church, having that deep desire to help others, decided to give generously. And Paul is clear, they did give generously. Despite their extreme poverty, Paul says they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity, which really redefines how we understand generosity, doesn't it? It brings to mind that scene in the Gospels where Jesus observes a widow contribute to the offering. 
Very quickly, here's Luke's account of this. He says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So the Macedonian example for the Corinthians is kind of like the widow's examples for the disciples. The poorest individuals can be the most generous individuals. And so that should inform or even correct how we understand generosity. Now Paul details this church's circumstances attitudes and contribution to show the Corinthians that this group is a group worth emulating. But there's one other aspect of their generous giving that can be quickly glossed over. In providing this initial description, Paul is careful to say what is primary and what is secondary. In verse 5, we read that the Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. In other words, what was of first importance was that they gave themselves to God. They recognized that God came first. So before contribution was offered to Paul, consecration was given to God. Consecration meaning they devoted themselves to God. They set themselves apart for God. They dedicated themselves to God which is important detail to note in a discussion about money and resources because it clarifies that what is most important to God is not your wallets, but your hearts. With that said, these Macedonians are exemplary because they show us, just as they showed the Corinthians, that when you consecrate yourself to God, It should have an impact on how you view and use your resources. So to put it plainly, if God has your heart, then it will impact your wallet. And if that makes you uncomfortable, let me explain it a little bit more. One way we can understand what Paul is talking about here is to view all this as a specific example for how the Christian life should be lived. I think we would agree and feel comfortable saying, if God has your heart, he will change your life, right? I think that's true. I think scripture would bear this out. I think if you had the chance to sit down with each other and simply ask, how has God changed your life? This room wouldn't be quiet. We would have a lot to say. Now, to say that our lives change once we know God, once he has our hearts is a true thing, but It's intentionally broad to say that. To say our lives change is to say our attitudes change, our habits change, our emotions change, our values change, our worldviews change. The list could go on. The focus of Paul's teaching here affirms that among that list is resources. So again, when we devote ourselves to God, we change. And of the many things that change about us is how we use our resources. But before moving on, there's something we need to be clear about. In our passage, Paul is bringing up the issue of generosity and giving because there is a church in need, a church in Jerusalem. That's crucial to observe because it clarifies the purpose of giving. 
Paul's not encouraging them to give money because he wants a nicer tent or some new clothes. He's not asking for money so that the Jerusalem church could wear jewelry. He's asking for funds because there is a need. There is a people in need. Look at verse 4 again with me. Paul tells us, These Macedonians were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. These Macedonians were begging to give because relief was at stake. There were Christians who needed help, and the Macedonians gave with the intent of alleviating their burden. And once all that is said, in verse 7, Paul encourages his Corinthian readers to do the same, saying, As you excel in everything, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Saying, in effect, you guys are doing great in all these ways, in all these areas. Don't neglect this one. Add this one too. And so in light of the example of the Macedonians, Paul asks his Corinthian readers to give as well. Well, how might we contextualize Paul's words for today? How do Paul's words, how are they relevant for us? You know, as we make our way through the rest of the passage, we'll continue to see how there are principles for giving for us to follow. But to start, I think it would be appropriate to reflect on an example of generosity that would spur us to be generous. Perhaps you know one or several churches that fit that paradigm, which can serve as a model for Westgate. And that would be well and good, but I want to suggest to you Westgate Church, that we have a nearer and dearer example of generous giving, one that our brother David pointed out to us. Our very own brother and pastor, Travis, last week gave up part of himself for the good of another. And why did he do that? Because of his love and devotion to God and love for others. Travis was extremely generous, not with his money, but with his own body. A truly admirable gift of generosity. But in the spirit of Paul, we shouldn't just admire at what Travis has done, but act. Not simply praise, but practice. Not only marvel, but move. Our brother Travis has set an example for us to follow. An example of generosity. You might wonder, well, what does that look like? What is required of me? How am I supposed to live generously? And we will get there. But Paul has more to say on all this. We need to consider Paul's second example, what I'm calling the messianic example. It's what verse 8 says. This is Paul. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And so I think here again, Paul is attempting to stress the significance of hearts over wallets to prove that your love is genuine. Yes, there is a need. Yes, there is a church who could use relief. But Paul is clear that he's not using his God-given apostolic authority to extract money from them. Instead, he wants them to prove their love is genuine. He wants their contribution to come from the heart. And in order to encourage them towards this, he gives them Another example, and he takes them right to Jesus. Verse 9, 
this beautiful verse. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What a remarkable gospel-focused verse. You want to know why the Christian is called to give up their resources for the well-being of others? It's because Jesus did that for us. He did that for us. And it's so brilliant what Paul does here. He takes that present physical issue and addresses it through theological reflection. See, before Jesus came, we were in sin. We were spiritually poor. And Jesus, who knew no sin and was perfectly righteous, he was spiritually rich. But in an act of gracious generosity, Jesus took on our sin so that we could be made righteous. He took on our poor spiritual condition so that we could receive his rich spiritual condition. And that is truly the heart of our passage and the basis for our giving. Remember, in this chapter, we're noting some of the broad principles for giving, and here's one of them. Our gracious generosity should be modeled after Jesus. And we should do that because when we do that, there is more opportunities to highlight, to make much of, to praise Jesus, to speak about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that when you give, when any Christian gives generously for the benefit of others, you can say, I give this gift because God gave me a gift. It's an opportunity to tangibly show someone that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection impacts how you live right now. And so just to be specific, it's not only words, it's also actions. Words and actions together. So when someone is need, someone is in need, you provide. It's buying the groceries, fixing the car, bringing a meal, giving gas money. It's doing anything that costs you something for the benefit of someone else. And we should note that it's not just evangelistic. Certainly it has its place in evangelism and witness to do this, to show the world that we aim to be generous because Jesus was generous to us. However, in this passage, Paul is encouraging contribution for the sake of other Christians, specifically. And I point that out to simply say, when we are aware of the needs of others in our own church, we have an opportunity not only to meet a need, but to remind one another of the gospel which is something we all need. No one graduates from the gospel. No one grows out of needing to hear about how Jesus came for us. And so that also is wrapped up in how we care for one another. Now, once Paul gives these two examples, he gives a motivation and a bunch of clarifications for why these Corinthians should give. Verse 10 with me. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. 
Paul gives this simple motivator. This giving, this act of giving, is to your benefit. Verse 11, let's keep going on. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. In other words, I think Paul is saying something like, this is to your benefit, because if you give, you're finishing what you started. You're not leaving any loose ends. I don't know about you, but if you start a project that you intend to finish, but then aren't able to, that's, that's frustrating. <clears throat> As an example, maybe you got an issue with your car that's not so serious that you need some professional to fix it, but not so easy that you can just do it in a couple minutes. And so you buy the parts you need, you look up how to do the job, but then something comes up and you're not able to get to it. And then weeks go by, life gets busy, you're just not able to get to it. And by that point, you lost the receipt, The store won't take the parts back because it's been too long. And so at that point, it's to your benefit to use those parts and finish that job. I think that's kind of what's going on here. At that point, this Corinthian church desired to help out. They were ready to do it, but didn't follow through. And so Paul, knowing this, brings it up again to say, just finish what you started because you'll actually complete what you desired. It's to their benefit. Now, after saying all this, Paul gets to some clarifications. And these clarifications are very instructive for us in how we consider the principles of giving. So I'll take this chunk, verses 12 to 14, we'll read together now. Paul writes, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, and that there may be fairness. And so here it would seem that Paul is addressing head-on some objections You know, a handful of verses earlier, he provides that Macedonian example. And what did they do? They not only gave according to their means, but also beyond their means. So here in verse 12, I think Paul's clarifying that they're not required to go beyond their means. The standard for them is to give according to what a person has. And notice the prerequisite to all this. Verse 12, that the readiness is there. Or as the NIV says it, the willingness is there. This is not coercion. Which echoes again what he mentioned of the Macedonians, that they voluntarily gave what they did. And so Paul expects the same from this Corinthian church. There should be a voluntary willingness. And to close out this section, Paul reveals his goal for all of this. His desired end is fairness equality, as other translations might have it, which is to say Paul's concern about giving is a just concern. For that reason, Paul explains he's not encouraging the Corinthians to give to make their lives harder and someone else's easier, as if his favorite church is in Jerusalem. That's not what Paul's saying. 
Paul's simply noting, presently there's a need. And presently the Corinthians are in abundance to meet that need. And so because of the current circumstances, Paul is asking for help on the behalf of the church in Jerusalem. But again, all that rests on the goal that Paul has in mind. There should be fairness, equality. And to justify his goal, he quotes the scripture, Exodus 16, 18. And that quotation in Exodus is a wilderness scene where God provided manna for the people to eat and they had to gather it as God commanded. And this quotation from Exodus highlights that the just outcome of God's provision. Whether someone gathered a lot or gathered a little, they each fairly received what God provided. Now, why would Paul say that here? Look back again at verse 7. Paul says, But as you excel in everything, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So I think what Paul's doing is showing how God gives provision. In the Old Testament, one of God's acts, one of, God's acts of grace, miraculous acts of grace, was to supply his people with food in the desert. But in the New Testament, I think Paul is showing his readers that they can serve God and take a part in provision and providing an act of grace for this Jerusalem church in need so that they would have a hand in making sure that there is fairness and equality and, again, proving their love. So the implication of all this uh, um, is pretty consequential. If Christians do not show concern for the needs of other Christians, then what's at stake? As Paul says, what's at stake is fairness and equality. Now, to answer the question, how do I use my resources? What am I to do right now? Let's quickly highlight some of these principles that Paul lays out. We saw that consecration to God is primary. Devoting ourselves to God comes first. We read that Jesus is the basis and best example of giving generously. We noted that giving is to be done out of a willingness, not out of compulsion, coercion. We also noticed how giving was purposed for the good of others, of other churches, and that the goal was fairness. And that, lastly, we read how giving was to be done according to our means. And that's a lot of principles. They're all helpful as we consider how to use our resources in light of our faith. And this also may be uncomfortable, but one of the implications of all this is that our resources are not off-limits, so to speak. When we live for God, when we consecrate ourselves to God, every aspect of our lives can be used for God. But there should be a willingness, not coercion. And the anchor for all of this, the anchor for all of this is Jesus. He is the one who informs our giving the most. And so that's what I'll leave you with, is his redemptive, gracious example. An example which not only shows us how to live generously, but enables us to live generously. And so here is the gospel-informed principle for you and for me, for us. Just as God graciously gave to us, so too we should graciously give to others. 
just as God himself graciously gave to us, so too we should graciously give to others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for the grace you demonstrated to us through yourself that you who are rich became poor for us so that we could become rich. God, thank you for these examples of a church of yourself and for this word. Pray that by your Son and this gospel, you would inspire us to be generous of what we have for the building up of your church and for the good of others. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.